to Get Hired in Cybersecurity with your host, Io Adiojo. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Getting into Cybersecurity. Today we have Christoph Full on here today. Great guest. Uh, he is a cybersecurity professional, leader, coach, and as well, uh, professor as well. Uh, Christoph, great to have you here. How are you? Thank you very much. Thank you for taking the time out and um, interviewing me. Um, really great to be here. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. Um, so yeah, Christoph has over 15 plus years of experience in the cybersecurity field and is also a cybersecurity focused career coach. So we'll be digging into a lot of questions that will be valuable to you in terms of how to get into cybersecurity. Um, I guess my first question for you is, um, can you describe a bit more about yourself and, and what you do specific to the coaching as well? Absolutely. So uh, professionally, I'm a cybersecurity professional. I do risk management. I do uh, security analysis specifically in the cloud. That's where I find one of my niches are. And throughout my career, I've been helping individuals that have reported to me. And as that has evolved, as the need for cybersecurity talent has grown, I've found the, the need to give back. And so it started out of coaching and mentoring individuals. And now I've turned turned it into a profession as well. So uh, I coach individuals that are pivoting from other fields or looking to grow in their cybersecurity career. I help them with highlighting transferable skills, as well as discovering where their passions are within cybersecurity to help them grow their career rather than start over from scratch, as many feel that they have to do when entering cybersecurity. Um, Excellent. In addition, in, in, sorry about that. In addition to that, I do a podcast called Breaking Into Cybersecurity, where we share the stories of individuals that have broken in within the past five years so that they share their stories and hear from diverse backgrounds, diverse ethnicities, like I, I want everyone to come and share their story. So um, over the three and a half years, we've had hundreds of guests. And the idea is to give everyone a role model to say, hey, I can do that too. This person came from sales or uh, this person was a librarian or this person was a medical records clerk. And now they're in cybersecurity. Let me listen to them and uh, find out some of the tips that they used. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much, Christoph. Um, one thing you alluded to that I wanted to follow up on was uh, the, your assistance with um, helping people transition into the field because many believe they have to start over. Can you kind of elaborate on that and, and how you've helped your clients transition? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, the, the type of clients that I help um, right now uh, pro bono through an organization called Boots to Books, as well as another nonprofit called um, whole cyber human initiative is we help transitioning vets that are coming out of the military and they've served the, the military for many years. They have experience in different fields, but as they look into cybersecurity, they feel like they often have to start over. And I've seen the same thing for other individuals on the civilian field, on the civilian side, where they're looking at cybersecurity and they feel that they potentially have to be a SOC analyst or go back to help desk and work their way up there. But what I do with them 
is I sit down and we do a skills assessment, a competency assessment, as well as an experience assessment to look at what they bring to the table and then just add their cybersecurity experience, their cybersecurity passion to that to provide them with a better holistic package as they go off into the marketplace um, and look for roles so they don't have to start over. Excellent, excellent. Um, and I guess for our listeners, do you kind of have any like examples of someone transitioning and um, how the skills they, they had helped them transition into cybersecurity? Absolutely. So um, one of the individuals that I helped, um, his name is Paul Cummings, um, and he's actually the founder of the, the whole Cyberhuman Initiative. And he was a 20 year veteran of the Navy and he was exiting the Navy and looking at different cybersecurity roles, getting really frustrated that he was applying for roles and um, either being disqualified for having not enough experience in certain fields or being overqualified for having too much experience in certain fields. And he was just ready to quit cyber altogether and turn in his application to Home Depot to, to just do something totally outside of the field. And we, we, we at that point were interacting on LinkedIn for several weeks and I saw this post of desperation. Uh, so I quickly reached out to him. We had a quick um, session and showed him how he could use his leadership skills from the military, uh, his previous experience within IT within the military, and potentially look at companies that have a close relationship with the military, where he could use his experience of the defense industrial base his IT experience and his leadership experience to find a role that included all of those. And now he actually did find that role and is quite happy in that role. Excellent. Thank you, Christoph. Um, you know, I, I get a lot of questions too about um, people believing they have to start over from the very beginning when they do have skills that uh, can help them get into cybersecurity. Um, I also wanted to touch on that uh, comment you made about how everyone believes they have to be a SOC analyst or go back to help desk. Uh, can you lead to the, the other roles that people might not be, um, I guess, uh, have knowledge about that they could transition into? Absolutely. Um, the, the cybersecurity field is a very diverse field. Uh, one, one framework that I use to direct individuals to a lot is called the NICE framework from NIST. And what they do is they break down the workforce into over 52 different roles, uh, sorry, yeah, 52 different roles that individuals can look at. They provide uh, a comprehensive assessment of skills, competencies, and um, knowledge areas which they should be aware of. And this allows individuals to see a diverse set of roles that are within the IT and cyberspace that they can look at, as well as how they could piv potentially pivot from some of these roles and how they're interconnected. Um, but often individuals also don't think about all the, the complementary roles to cybersecurity. So for example, um, if you are an individual that had previously done sales, maybe now doing sales for a cybersecurity company 
would allow you to gain those cyber skills and those cyber knowledge while using a transferable skill that you have. Um, if you were previously teaching, maybe teaching a cybersecurity course would allow you to have that transfer and gain experience along the way. Um, if you're doing policies and procedures uh, on one side, you could then transition with your knowledge of cybersecurity, create policies and procedures for incident response, um, disaster recovery, so on and so forth within GRC roles. There, there's so many different ways to get in by using the complementary skills of other um, aspects of the organization into cybersecurity. Great answer, great, great answer, Christoph. And, you know, I hear this all the time, most times where um, people trying to get into the field believe they have to be super advanced hackers or security analysts, not knowing that uh, there's a wide variety of uh, um, opportunities and roles within cybersecurity. And I'll definitely link to that nice framework that you referenced to, uh, to in, the, in the comments below. That's, that's, that's amazing with over 52 roles. Um, one question I want to ask too, um, you know, for our listeners, what's hot in the market? What, what skills do you believe could really help candidates stand out uh, this at this current point in time? Well, I would say there's what's hot in the market and then what's passionate for you. Um, some of the things that I, I require my coaching individuals to do is to really do an assessment of all the different roles and what's passionate for them, as well as do peer interviews with individuals who are potentially in those roles to find out if you're really interested in that role. You could see a lot of positions for a SOC analyst and interview someone one or two people within that role and find out that, that you'll totally hate that role, that you wouldn't like it at all. Um, or you would you would see a, a cool role for a pen tester. You would actually talk to a pen tester and find out 60% of their role is actually reporting and creating reports for their customers about what they did. And if you hate report writing, while the pen testing might be cool, and you don't want to do the reporting, it might not be a good role for you. Um, as well as you might find out how much education or hands-on experience that you might need for that role and um, self-analyze that you, you, you might have a lot more work to do to truly be a good pen tester. Um, so I really have them do that self-exploration to find out what's there. Um, in regards to what's coming, there's a lot of market demand for individuals who have the ability to code. I don't think coding is a requirement, but it's helpful. Um, if you look at the cloud environment, everything is as code, infrastructure as code. Uh, programs deploying themselves as part of code. You're writing identity and access management as code. So your ability to look at those codes and dissect how they work will help you become more efficient. Uh, even for individuals that might be in GRC, we're, we're looking towards automating a lot of these things. And while you might think automation means there's gonna be less work for humans, it, 
it actually means there'll be more work for humans to do the creative thinking tasks, the complex tasks, and to try to remove some of the, the mundane tasks. Um, along that line, I'll tell, com I'll tell individuals and companies, ensure that you understand the processes that you're trying to automate and all the complexities that go around with that. Because sometimes automation leads to more individuals supporting that automation. And that's not necessarily efficient from an organizational standpoint. Amazing, amazing answers, Christoph. Um, I wanted to touch upon what you said about organizations using automation and even that leading to more work. Uh, what do you, I, I know you, um, work in cybersecurity and you, and you guide organizations. What, what do you see as the being the pain points for organizations right now regarding cybersecurity? I think it depends on the, the, yeah, I think it really depends on the scale of your organization. Uh, a large organization will have things at magnitude. How do you deal with all the SaaS providers and all the third party and supply chain risk? that you have at that level. So you might have 30, 40, 50 suppliers just for one aspect of your business. How do you ensure that you're not opening up yourself to too much risk by incorporating these third-party suppliers into your network in some way, as well as what's the risk of your employees using cloud service providers what information are they storing out there what's the protection around that information within those cloud environments or even things as as much in the fine print can they read that information can they analyze that information and then use it for their own use so looking into protecting your ip at a smaller scale you have companies that are truly cloud native, the only thing they don't have any hardware other than potentially the PC or iPad that you're using for their organization and everything's in the cloud. But do they truly understand the shared responsibility model within the cloud of what the cloud service provider is doing and what they have to do? Using uh, AWS, for example, looking at the buckets uh, by default the buckets used to be totally open thinking that the organization will put the protections on it uh, eventually they they had to change the model and by default make the buckets closed because too many people were leaving the buckets open with the assumption that the cloud service provider is securing that but that's not true as part of the, the cloud responsibility the cloud shared responsibility model, companies and individuals are always responsible for uh, identity and access management to their data, uh, as well as protecting their data. So you're storing data in the cloud. Do you want to encrypt on top of what the cloud service provider provides or just hope that they have enough protections for you? Those are the types of things that you have to consider. Excellent. Excellent. And one thing I wanted to touch up on too for, for our listeners as well, many um, are transitioning, many are considering transitioning and uh, 
the path ahead might not be as clear. Um, what are your opinions on training, um, degrees, certs, um, and just generally what s someone who wants to get into the field should do to plan out their career in cybersecurity just starting out? Well, there, there's many different approaches, just like there's many different roles. I am a, an adjunct professor, so I do believe in education. I would say education has its place in it, formal education. Many of the, the formal colleges and degrees, whether they're bachelors or masters, often over-focus on the theoretical and under-focus on the hands-on skills needed. So individuals going through these programs might have the false assumption that simply by completing a bachelor's degree or a master's degree, they have all the skills and competencies needed to be effective in the workplace. And that that's not entirely true. So I would say if you're looking into a formal degree, look at what's really included. Do they include that hands-on training component that employers are looking for? Um, one of the programs that I mention a lot is WGU because they include the study as quickly as you can approach. They include the hands-on training and preparation for certifications approach and kind of combine all that into one program. Um, uh, another college that I, that I spoke to recently, Collins College in Texas, they they require, depending on the path that you choose, hands-on labs to be anywhere from 20 to 60% of the course curriculum as they prepare individuals for the workforce. So really investigate what aspect of that formal education has that hands-on labs. Now let's pivot to certifications. Certifications are great, but for the majority of the time, they tell the employer that you had a, a certain level of knowledge at a point in time. They're mostly knowledge checkers rather than skills verification. So there are some certifications that do verify that you have the skills. Uh, if you're thinking in the penetration testing, the OSCP is one of those certifications that have the hands-on uh, component where you have to actually get through virtual machines and you have to find the flags and prove that you have the skills and competencies. Um, for the most part, many of the other skills providers have limited components of that hands-on skill within their certification paths. And hopefully that's changing. Um, the other thing that I want to mention often is where there's bootcamp providers really find out what these bootcamps are offering and inquire as to their past students. Have they helped them with job placements? Can they provide references to prove that these individuals actually got jobs after the fact? Because oftentimes you're spending anywhere from two to $10,000 for these programs and 
sometimes they don't even include the testing for the certification. You have to pay extra for that. And they don't include working with local businesses or businesses to get you placed. They, they might help with your resume, but that's about it. So you want to really find out if these, these programs really help individuals and if they'll help you with job placement in the end, because that's what you're looking for. You're looking for the skills from the bootcamp to be applicable to the marketplace so that you can get hired. Um, I know there's there's programs that are up and coming that are focusing on the hands-on skills that individuals are looking for. For example, like Rapid Ascent, where you're designing that tailored coursework for individuals to have those hands-on skills that employers are looking for and working with employers to get that placement on the back end. So really inquire what that bootcamp that you're looking for does for you. And then let's go go the self-study route. Um, today I spoke to an individual on my podcast uh, on breaking into cybersecurity, Stefan. He mentioned how because he was an, a, a, a U.S. immigrant, he might not have had all the opportunities that uh, U.S. citizens have. So he researched as much as he could the, the least expensive ways to do things. And he, he mentioned how he found you could get a bachelor's for $5,000 if you researched it properly, if you did things like massive plat uh, online platforms that give you college credits or you research all, you could get all the education you, you need from like YouTube courses or other things like that. But you have to figure out what you're looking for so that you can tailor your own research towards achieving that goal. If you come in and you look and you say, I want to get a role, but you don't know what role you want, you're, you're going to find yourself drowning in information. But if you can narrow it down to what you want, you can tailor your research towards that that north star of a goal. Great, great answer, great answer. I really like what you said about um, hands-on programs. I, I personally came from a, a hands-on program and, and it was invaluable in terms of uh, a large majority of the actual grade being being labs. Um, in fact, if you didn't do the labs, you, you're gonna have a tough time uh, you know, passing the course. So I really enjoyed that rather than it always being, you know, sit down tests. Um, I remember we had a programming uh, course and, you know, the final exam was to code some things and it was very heated, but, you know, it was, it was a great experience. So um, I really like that point that you made. And also the fact that um, when, when aspiring professionals are looking into programs, formal programs, that they should really see what they're getting and, and see the value proposition as well, because you know, cybersecurity is, is, you know, it's, it's getting hot and, you know, a, a college can just spin up a quick program, but will it really allow candidates to to uh, achieve that end goal? So uh, thanks a lot for alluding to that. And, and that's going to be very helpful for, for the listeners here. Um, one thing I want to talk about, too, that, that I've kind of seen is where where cybersecurity is regarding all of IT, right? I, I I know uh, my path into cybersecurity was through IT first. You know, I started at help desk, system administration, a little bit of networking, and then um, cybersecurity. So what would you tell somebody that has no IT experience at all? Um, should they 
first seek out, you know, help desk world or, or learn some of the foundation before getting into cybersecurity? Because that's one of the gaps I find is that maybe this is a better question. Is an entry level cybersecurity job really an entry level job or is it, um, you know, a progression from somebody that already has IT experience? Well, I, I would say that depends. Um, let's let's dissect it. Cybersecurity is a subcomponent of information security, which means that your your goal is to protect all the information from an organization, regardless of its form. That's information security. So it might be analog, it might be physical, or it might be digital. Cybersecurity focuses on the digital aspect of that. So it is helpful for individuals to understand how the information is within the organization, how it flows and how it can be protected. So assessing the, the confidentiality, integrity and availability of that information. That being said, there's components to it. There's the protection of it. There's the technology around supporting it. And then there's the governance of it. Oftentimes, um, roles around governance and awareness and communications of your cybersecurity program, those could be entry level roles. You could really grow in those roles and go on to more technical roles, or you could, you could pivot over from having previous experience. You don't have to come through IT. Um, for the individuals that are considering pivoting, you don't necessarily need your A plus, you don't need your security plus. They provide you with two parts of the triangle. The A plus is focusing on understanding the systems in which you're integrating with. And then the network plus is focusing on understanding the information pathways in which that information flows within the organization and your security plus now secures that information with the people and the processes used within the organization. So that triad is often really recommended, but individuals don't understand why. Um, if you understand why you can study for the information, but not necessarily take the certification and be able to provide your knowledge while networking with individuals in the field or doing that interview that you understand those components of it the value of it but not necessarily have the certification in it excellent excellent um and you said something there at the end about, about networking that i wanted to kind of embark on how, how should uh or how what do you recommend that aspiring cybersecurity professionals do to, to network and meet other, meet other people in the field. Um, what are some of the things that they should be doing to, to expand their opportunity opportunities? Well, first of all, um, don't, don't forget about the physical people that you've met. Um, they're part of your network, reaching out to them. They might have connections that you might not know. And as you're looking for a role, they might be able to connect you with people. Uh, next, as you're networking, look for individuals in the role that you're interested in, reach out to them, 
talk to them about their role, get to know them, ask them about the pros and cons of their role, how their role functions, and just build a relationship with them before you ever ask them for a referral. Um, there's nothing worse than reaching out to someone and going, hey, would you refer me to your company? Or, hey, would you pass on my resume to a, a, a hiring professional? Um, some individuals, there's referral programs in their company, so you're happy to pass that on so that they could try to get that referral um, bonus. Um, other individuals see that referral as an endorsement from that individual, so they might put that in high regard. So if you don't have a relationship with that individual, they might not refer you, or if they do refer you, when the recruiter talks to them, they'll go, oh, I don't know them. Uh, they just gave me their resume and asked me to refer. So that's not a good referral. That won't really get you past a recruiter directly to a hiring manager. Um, on the other end, if you find someone and you have that deep connection with them and that natural relationship or rapport with them, they might be more than happy to even skip the recruiter and go straight to the hiring manager and say, hey, we, we got to interview this person. Like, I know we have this role open. They would be perfect for it. Or they could think of their own network and, and mention that this other company is looking and refer you over there. So build that rapport as you're networking. Just don't connect with folks and don't have that relationship with them. Great answer, great answer, Christoph. And, and I definitely agree. Um, I, I get those sometimes. And it, it, it is disheartening. Um, it is unfortunate sometimes because uh, it makes you feel like a stepping stool almost. Like I'm, I'm not even a, a person or I'm just a robot that could just, you know, be used to get to your end goal. You know, I have interests, you know, I'm, I'm a cool person. Is, is it just because I work at the company that you're reaching out to me? And, you know, others uh, conversely have, have reached out and, and we've had great conversations. And, you know, if anything opens up, uh, I'd be definitely open in a heartbeat to referring them. Uh, one thing people don't understand is that when someone refers you, they're also vouching for you as well. So it's important to get for them to get to know you. Trust is very important. Um, nobody wants to refer somebody that, you know, ends up you know blowing up the company internally. Right. Uh, that's not a really that's not a good look at all. And I admit, I've made those mistakes in my career. So um, it's something I've learned from and I want to share with others. Thank you. Thank you, Christoph. Really appreciate it. Um, wanted to touch on just one uh, one last question. Um, so applying to jobs, what candidates look for when applying to jobs? I see uh, the strategy where, you know, if to every job you see and, and cast a net wide um what are your thoughts on that strategy and, and how do you think how do you feel candidates should should approach applying to, to jobs and roles well there, there's two approaches if you're going to cast your net wide you need to have a resume tailored enough to that specific role that it would hit on keywords that recruiters from those various companies would be searching for within the applicant tracking system. Because if you're applying at a hundred different companies, you're, you're hoping that one will, one will make it through the net. 
to your resume has to be tailored enough to make it through the net to a, a recruiter to want them to send you on to a hiring manager. On the other end, if you actually take the time and tailor to a specific company, your chances of making it through that quote unquote net really increase. The other thing to think about is an interview with a job is a two-way street. You want to work for them so that you get paid. They want you for your resource, for your resources, your skills, and your competencies. There's that cultural fit that needs to be there because for example, if it's a fast paced job and you're a slow paced individual, um, you might not like that environment. If it is a slow paced environment and you're a fast paced person, you might not like that environment. So you have to find that out during the interview process or the pre-research process of what they say they're like, what do they promote? And then do they have all the things that you're looking for in a company? So for example, when I look for a company, I want to see that they promote work-life balance, that they take the employee's health into consideration, that they provide continuous education and training for me to continue my growth within the organization. And if I see all those things, then I will look at a role if at that company. But if they don't have those things, that, that's not the type of company that I want to work for. Understood. Understood. Thank, thank you for outlining those two approaches and, um, you know, alluding to the, the fact that instead of really just applying to, to many jobs, that, that, that could be an option that I'm um, really digging deep and understanding uh, what the company provides can, can help make a better decision because there can kind of be uh, uh, this term, uh, be careful what you wish for, where you, you get a job and you, out of the 150 resumes you sent out, one call back and you're so happy, but it wasn't really what you wanted um, in, in the first place. And, and then, you know, we've, we've, there, there are accounts of that and it happens, um, you know, throughout our careers. Um, yeah, that, that is my, my, my last question. Um, is there anything you wanted to, to allude to or talk about? Uh, no, I, the last thing I would allude to is oftentimes uh, throughout your career, you're going to look for someone to potentially mentor you um, or you might look at coaches or instructors. I, I want individuals to understand the difference between them, right? A teacher teaches you something that someone else created and they might add um, a little extra to it, but it's knowledge that's out there that they're tra translating to you. A mentor, they share their own experiences and they share it to you, their own opinion and they share it to you. A coach, on the other hand, they will challenge you to, to find that view for yourself, hold you accountable and see if you're considering all the aspects of what you're pursuing. So. It's a different relationship when you're looking for a teacher, a coach, or a mentor. And um, as a coach myself, I really stress that because I don't teach individuals anything technical. I, I help them with their career. I help them develop a framework. I help them get from 
level two to level three or level two to level five, depending on what you're looking for. But they're the ones that have to put the work in. I just help hold them accountable. I help them achieve what they didn't think they could achieve by pushing, pushing their limits. But they're the ones doing the work. A mentor would tell you, yeah, this is what I did in, in my case. You should do it too. But they, they might not hold you accountable. They might not make sure that you're doing it. They're just passing on the information to you. And you need all of those in your life, right? You just don't need um, one coach. You could have a coach for your personal life. You could have a coach for your career. You could have um, a coach for your spiritual life. It really all depends what you're looking for. And one's never all encompassing. Same thing for mentors. Um, last week uh, on the podcast, uh, our guest, uh, she talked about having a personal board of directors which she had a variety of different mentors from male to female with different perspectives and different companies so that they could be a sounding board for her and allow her to grow through that personal board of directors. So that could be something to consider yourself. Yes, I, I, lo I love that term, a personal board of directors. Big organizations have it, why not us? That's, that's, a, that's a great term. And, and thanks for breaking down the difference between the teacher, mentor, and coach. That's, that's very valuable um, to our listeners as they might not understand the difference when um, they're deciding on what to choose. So um, I guess closing remarks here, uh, where can people reach out to you if they want to know more about you? Uh, LinkedIn is one of the, the very obvious ways. And for those looking into my coaching, uh, cpf-coaching.com. And I'll provide all the links in the show notes for you. Yep. Yeah, we'll have all the show notes here uh, below so that anyone interested in working with you can reach out to you and learn more about you as well. Christoph, thank you so much for joining today. This was a great episode with valuable information. Uh, and yeah, I really do appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time as well. Excellent. Excellent. Bye now.